Welcome to this episode of Tap Into College Golf. I'm your host, Brandy Jackson, founder of Brandy Jackson Golf, where young female golfers can come join the team in search of coaching, consulting, mentorship, and guidance on all things junior golf related and, of course, the college recruiting process. There's also access to an online course, or if you're looking for some fun girls golf lifestyle apparel, even added that to the collection last year. So be sure to go check out www.brandyjacksongolf.com. That's Brandy with an I. Welcome everyone to a new episode of Take Three where I am taking your questions about recruiting, junior golf, player development, whatever you want to talk about, I am tackling those questions here on these Take 3 episodes. So we're going to take three questions that I have gotten, whether it's recent or something that's come up in the past, whether it's my experience with the players that I work with and things that they ask me about just each week, um, something new, something different, just to try to help tie in a little bit more of the the recruiting junior golf side of things, along with all the ones wonderful interviews with the coaches that you also have a chance to listen to. So let's just dive into this very first one, which I think is a really important one, um, really for any time of the process, but definitely certain times when this is a little bit more active. But the question is, are scholarships negotiable? Um, It's, you know, again, as with many, many parts of the process, there are certainly different variables that play into account as to whether they are negotiable or not. Um, the best answer is yes, to a degree, and in most cases, they are. If you don't have other offers, then you don't have a whole lot of leverage to make a scholarship negotiable. And in some cases, that the, what the coach is offering and what they're giving you, that is legitimately all that they're able to offer. So there may not be any room for negotiating there and in trying to maybe get a little bit better package. So again, like I talk about with a lot of different things in the process, there are different variables that play into account to make some of these things, you know, one answer or a different kind of answer. But typically you do, um, you know, have a little bit of an opportunity to at least find out. Um, You definitely want to be cautious in how you approach that. Um, You want to do it in a very, you know, gracious, humble way that, uh, you know, you can maybe ask the coach, um, you know, a lot of times if you've been asked, you know, well, is there the availability for getting academic scholarship or some financial need if you genuinely truly need the additional funds. If you're doing it just strictly out of trying to get the best deal, sometimes coaches will catch on to that. Uh, again, there is, you know, a little bit of a, a leverage there where, you know, if you've got another offer that is a little bit better and, you know, it's just not apples to apples and you, you know, are trying to get that other offer that maybe is the place you really want to go to, to just be a little more comparable. Many times if you approach it the right way, coaches do understand that and will hopefully give you an honest answer about whether they can bump you up or potentially offer more the next year. Again, just different situations there that, that kind of decide that. But always, always be very cautious of it. Don't ever pretend or, or lie or make up that, you know, you've got other offers. Coaches talk to each other. They find these things out. So be honest with the coaches. Just keep them, you know, up to date and in the loop on what's going on, on where you stand. Uh, again, if they really feel like you're just trying to find the best deal and you're asking for mo- more money just out of the simple act of that, that can sometimes become a little bit of a turnoff. But if you genuinely need the money or you have other offers that are maybe better and you're really just trying to help piece things together and make it make sense financially, most coaches are going to have an understanding of that. So just be honest with them 
and, and like I said, try to make it for the right reasons and make sure at the end of the day, like I said, it still is about trying to find the best fit, not necessarily the best scholarship offer. Uh, I always use my story. Like I said, I ended up combining golf with academic, with financial need to get the full ride that I needed to Furman, was willing to put it all together. It wasn't about I needed a full golf scholarship title, you know, because that wasn't going to be the best fit where that was being offered at. Um, So just keep that in mind. At the center of it all, it's about finding the best fit. But if financially you do need some more assistance, um, or again, you have multiple offers and there's some wiggle room, then just be cautious about how you go about it. Next question is one that I just got and I get it in so many different ways because this, uh, the, the scenarios with camps has definitely changed now that the NCAA rules have changed. So, you know, I get asked, again, different ways about camps. What camp should we go to? Should we go to camps? Um, so I'm going to try to tackle this as best as I can and, and sort of provide how camps have changed. Um, so, yes, especially if you're a middle schooler um, early on into the process, you know, if, if you can, you know, financially do it. Um, attending the college camp that's somewhere you really want to go to is is a great way to show your support, to show your interest. Um, you know those summer camps, those overnight camps, the day camps. Like again, it is a, it's a, a little bit of a fundraiser type of thing for the program. So again, it shows your support, gives you a chance to connect with the the coaching uh, staff that's there, um, and, and like I said, it just gives you a chance to kind of uh, experience the school and and what it's for. So especially early in the process, those are one hundred percent a good idea if um, if it's viable and 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 doable. As the process moves on. Those more summer camps, even though you're hearing a little bit more about camps being part of the process, those full week-long summer camps at the universities are still not going to be really the avenue for a more competitive player once they get into high school. Um, that's really not going to be the opportunity that you're going to be looking for and how to spend that money and that time. You need to be playing tournaments. You need to be competing Um there are, again, always some exceptions to this, but for the most part, those summer camps, as you start getting, especially past freshman year, um, if you haven't already kind of made that connection with the coach through those camps, um, the odds of it happening just by going to summer camp, you know, isn't uh, isn't as likely because you really need to be playing competitive, playing tournaments, and spending your time and your money that way through for a week of the summer. And most coaches are going to kind of be expecting that because most of those camps are at your better ranked D1 programs that are offering those camps. What you are seeing now are these prospect camps that the the programs themselves are running. A lot of times they're just one day. Sometimes they're two days. Um, those are 100% opportunities for recruiting, uh, you know, recruiting um recruiting potential and, and recruiting experience. Um, these ones that the coaches are running like that. A lot of times they'll put a, a name in there to say it's a prospect camp or a recruit camp. Um, they want to kind of help distinguish between the difference in them. And they're also tend to handpick who they want to invite. So I get again asked, you know, how do we find out about these camps? Well, the, the key to it is in a lot of cases, those types of camps are, are start out by them specifically inviting people they have on potential recruit list so they send them out to those specific individuals and then typically once they fill up they might make them public a little bit later because under NCAA rules they technically have to but just anybody doesn't necessarily get the chance to go to some of those camps it's a little more like I said a recruit camp um, prospect camp they want to keep them smaller they want to keep it more about players that they're legitimately 
interested in. That's their way to connect with players now that you can't talk, you can't visit, you can't do all that. That is part of why if you're a better player, you know, getting your information out to coaches early on, um, that's some of what that helps with because it lets those coaches know you're interested and how they can send these these camp information out to you. So those camps for the more competitive players, again, some of them are calling them camps, some are calling them showcases, prospect days, recruit um, recruit days, a lot of different different names that they're using. And sometimes it's kind of hard to tell the difference in them, um, but they're usually making them a little bit more affordable because, again, they don't necessarily want it to be about who can afford to pay $1,000, $1,500 maybe to go as much as it is getting the types of recruits there that they want to see and they want to watch. So again, something to keep in mind, um, obviously, yes, when you've got a camp that has multiple coaches, usually it's going to be more expensive. If there are several coaches there that you really are um, realistic to potentially pay play for or really interested in, those avenues could be great ways to connect with coaches, especially a little bit early into the process. Um, and you can handle what that cost is going to be. By all means, you never know, you know where those opportunities are going to be. But they have tried to broaden out, especially from a financial side of things. And these prospect camps are allowing uh, those better players that opportunity to do that without having to take a week out of their summer. Um, It's kind of what's replaced, to a degree, it's kind of what's replaced those unofficial visits and the money you might have had to spend as an eighth, ninth grader going on unofficial visits. Um, That kind of is what it's become a little bit to a degree is that's what prior to the rules changing what a lot of people were having to do during that time was travel for those. So again, always exceptions to things, some different variables there in that, but hopefully that helps answer, answer the question for a little more of the current status of camps and how they are. And also obviously with me, you know, I work with the coaches and I want to support them in every way possible. And those summer camps do that. Um, It is, you know, Uh, like I said, a great way to show your support for them. Um, It's just typically because it's a bigger group, it's just a little bit more of kind of, um, you know, not a ton of just direct hands-on instruction. If you're looking for it with that later on in the process, you're probably not going to get as much of that just because it's bigger groups. It's a little more about the experience, um, the chance just to get there on campus and and spend that time. It's a little bit more about that, but always want to do anything I can to help support the coaches and and lead ways to kind of support them if it makes sense and it's worth that time and investment. Last thing that we're going to cover in our take three is the third question. And I just recently had some players go through this process and I get again asked, you know, what exactly is a verbal commitment? Um, Again, process has changed. So you're not allowed to make these verbal commitments until after June 15th, going into your junior year. But Understanding what a verbal commitment is uh, really kind of helps you know exactly what you're what you're getting yourself into. So keep in mind, verbal commitments are strictly between the player and the coach. It is a you know strictly a verbal um, agreement. A lot of times they're not even able to put anything necessarily in writing yet because you might could try to hold them to that. So it really is typically a verbal agreement that happens over the phone or maybe in person during a visit. Like I said, it is between the player in the coach. So if something happens and that coach were to leave before you get there, um, there is nothing legally binding you or, you know, nothing that is going to force the new coach coming in to have to uphold that. Um, so 
Sometimes it works out for the best when that happens because maybe the new coach coming in, you weren't going to be a good fit for anyways. In other cases, the new coach coming in upholds that and that coach may even be better than the one that was going to be there before. So different scenarios that work out that way. And it's just one of those when it happens, you have to kind of figure out then uh, sometimes you're in just a little bit of a, a lull in between coaches before the new coach comes in and find out if that new coach is even going to let you keep your verbal commitment. Do you want to keep it? Um, all of that can sometimes come into play, you know, after it's all said and done. So those are, are some scenarios that, um, again, you don't want to say that you hope never happen because sometimes they do work out for the best. But that verbal commitment, again, is strictly between just player and coach, not necessarily player in the school. When you get ready to sign your NLI, it reverses and it is more or it is between player and school, not necessarily player and coach. But that's a, another topic we'll get into to not drag it out and, and get too much um too far in two different directions, but again, verbal commitments, you are you know, agreeing to that offer that they are giving you. Um, and in some cases, uh, you know, you have heard about people changing their mind. There's been coaches who have rescinded verbal commitments. Um, you know, it, it's definitely one of those things that there is the expectation that you will continue doing the things that you were doing. Yes, sometimes your game might hit some different bumps, especially if you're going through some, you know, some changes that you may have needed to make. Keep Keep the coach in the loop. Make sure your swing coach is, is really kind of involved in what's going on and they're involved in the, your, your future coach so they know if you start to kind of hit those ups and downs what's going on. Um, but you definitely can't expect to make that verbal commitment and then your grades, you know, drop or you just quit playing tournaments or you're just not working hard. Um, you've got to be able to maintain what it was that you were doing and there is that expectation. If not, the coach does have a – um, you know, a little bit of a right to consider pulling that offer. Um, and on your end as a player, um, no, it is not legally binding, but make sure you do everything you can to only verbally commit once you feel like you are totally ready. Try not to ever feel pressured into making a commitment if you're not ready yet. Um, make sure you've done your homework, you've done your research, you know, you know, um, you know, it really is the best decision. Some things, you know, sometimes things change. Things turn out to not be the way you expected them to be. That does happen. But definitely make sure you consider all options. You don't just rush and make a decision just because you're too lazy to put time into recruiting or, you know, factors that just don't make sense. Want to make sure you, you know, you do your homework, do the research, and you make that commitment knowing that you can't really backtrack on it. So, again, hopefully this um, – helps give you a little bit of understanding of three different areas within recruiting. Um, how are scholarships negotiable? What should we do about camps? Which ones should we attend? And then, you know, what does a verbal commitment really mean? Um, so three great topics just to help dive into those. Hopefully you got a little bit of insight and a little bit of information. And as always, thanks for joining me on this, ep this episode of Take Three on the Tap Into College Golf Podcast. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Take 3 on the Tap Into College Golf Podcast. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you can go to my website, you can go to my bio on Instagram, you can email me, um, anything you want to do to submit a question that you'd like to have me go over. You can also go to the anchor link and where you can find my podcast and actually submit a question um, 
audio and we'll actually share it here on the actual episode. So whichever way you want to do it, I would love to get your questions and be able to answer them and and go over them in future episodes of Take 3. So looking forward to getting those questions and, and stories and scenarios that you'd like for me to cover and I will definitely get to those. So thanks again for joining.